In just a moment, I'll be reading from Proverbs, the fifth chapter, verses 15 through 20, and from 17.1, concluding uh, an abbreviated sermon series from Proverbs, Back to School, Proverbs for Everyday Living. And uh, we'll be looking at some key passages there. Before that, I want to lead us in a time of prayer. I want to remind you of something. Uh, The miracle of prayer, the wonder of prayer, the bonding experience of prayer. You remember that in the Old Testament, uh, the way sacrifices and worship happened, that the high priest, only the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies and that only once a year. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that curtain was torn and the way was opened for all of us to enter the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ, our high priest, anytime and all the time. So I want you to think about what happens on a Sunday morning when one of us prays. Think about the power of what that means that together we can link hands and go into the holy place anytime we want in the power and in the authority of our high priest Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me please? So here we are, great God, our heavenly Father, the maker of heaven and earth, in your presence with access to you fully and freely, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are and what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. We thank you for this immeasurable privilege of being ushered into your throne room and bringing our petitions and finding mercy and grace to help in time of need. We thank you, God, as we come to confess our sins and to claim cleansing and renewal and refreshment in the Holy Spirit. We bring before you the threats of illness and loss and struggles in our lives, doubts and fears. We bring to you the threats of war as North Korea continues to uh, act in menacing ways in the stewardship of their nuclear power. We pray for our president. We pray for all of the leaders of all the nations. We pray for all of those in the armed forces that you will protect them and watch over them. And we do pray unabashedly for world peace. We bring before you the heartache left in the wake of Harvey, the hurricane and tropical storm. We pray for all of those seeking to recover and restore life. For all of the loss that they are experiencing, would you bless and comfort. And as Ken Enlow said in the children's time, help us to to put feet to our prayers by doing something, not just thinking about it. We pray for our team headed toward Moldova. What a privilege to be linked with sisters and brothers in Eastern Europe for their courage and for what we will learn from them. We pray your safety and strength upon our team and blessings abounding. And for this Labor Day weekend, we thank you that we are linked together in common good, those in management, those in labor. We thank you for business and industry providing jobs, for the ability to work. We pray that you will 
Bless those who are unemployed today and those who are underemployed. Give us, God, concern for those who are making do on so little and give us a passion for justice. And now we pray that as we look into your word that you will nourish our souls, help us to bear fruits in righteousness, to be courageous, to listen to the truth that you have about everyday life. And may you find us faithful, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, and then 17, 1. And if you're able, would you stand, please, as God's word is read and comes among us. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the sharing with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. May her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated always by her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, by another woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And then from 17.1, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you may know that I plan my sermons uh, several months ahead. And I have to confess to you that when I opened my folder and saw what many months ago I had decided on for this morning's scripture, I thought about faking a sore throat and uh, calling one of our staff pastors and saying, I'm not feeling very good. Can you preach this morning's sermon? Well, I only halfway apologize for the bluntness and the candid nature of this morning's scripture reading. I only halfway apologize for it because I think therein lies the problem. That through the generations, the church of Jesus Christ has been reluctant to talk about what everybody else talks about all the time. And the church of Jesus Christ has been reluctant to talk about what Scripture is very explicit and clear about, our sexuality. And so it's important for us to remember that this is real life. And the Proverbs, all of Scripture, but particularly the Proverbs, you remember the name of this sermon series, Proverbs, back to school, Proverbs for everyday living. Every facet of life is addressed in the Proverbs. Now, G.K. Chesterton a British author, once said that sexual promiscuity does not happen because we overrate sex. He says it's the opposite. Sexual promiscuity happens because we underrate sex. We don't value it enough. We don't give it its place and dignity. And we rip it from its context of married and committed love. We undervalue it instead of overvaluing it. So I guess what we're working toward this morning in thinking together is something between the two extremes. Some middle way, scriptural way, between the extreme of um, a prudishness that fails to recognize 
that God created us as bodied creatures. As bodied creatures. Not just souls, but bodied human beings. And between the other polarity of anything goes, if it feels good, do it. Somewhere in between that prudishness and reticence to talk about real life and a a sort of a libertarian attitude that anything goes is a biblical way. And we hope to find it this morning. Now you may not know this, but in the United States every year, Americans spend $13.3 billion on adult entertainment. That's more than we spend on sports, if you can believe that. And in the United States today, there are more sex shops than there are McDonald's. I didn't think that was possible, that there'd be anything more ubiquitous than McDonald's. I heard a pastor say not very long ago that he was really frustrated with the hypocrisy of conservative evangelical Christianity, particularly the hypocrisy of churches that bash gays and that give out hateful speech about homosexuals while there's such a high percentage of evangelical males addicted to pornography. There's a hypocrisy there. And so, the Bible passage this morning deals with the problem of sexual lust, out of control, uncontained in its proper channels. The Proverbs writer likes to use analogies. And he uses a beautiful one in verse 15. He says, drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad and streams of water in the streets? You see, in the Middle East, even to this day, water is precious. Water is a precious commodity in such a hot, dry place. You would never waste water. And so he says, never waste your sexuality on casual relationships. Never waste your sexual being on Chance encounters. Why give your love to a stranger, he asks. And he's asking some honest questions. You know, uh, Miroslav Volf, a Yale theology professor, has reminded us that there is a, an excitement that surrounds sexual temptation. But he said what we have to see is the big picture that when that is acted upon outside the context of committed married love, it usually leads to guilt, a lack of fulfillment, and an emptiness. And the warning in Scripture is not to ruin our fun. The warning in Scripture is to keep us free from those things that harm the soul. Several years ago, Sojourner magazine uh, opened up to its readers the opportunity to tweet uh, some responses to a question about the emptiness of K-12 
casual sexual relationships, they got a lot of tweets back. One person wrote, I wish I'd known how unique a bond of sex is created between two people. I wish I'd known how unique the bond that is created when there's sex between two people. And someone else wrote, sex is always about another person's soul, not just about his or her body, but about his or her soul. And so, I call us back to those three themes that I said permeate the book of Proverbs. And I said these would appear in every message that we preached from this series. Proverbs is about God's wisdom, not about knowledge. We all know a lot of things about sex. But wisdom is organizing knowledge in such a way that builds character, builds community, and honors God. And do you see how lust out of control and relationships out of the bond of married commitment destroy character, destroy community, and don't honor God, they dishonor God, and how our sloppy sexual disciplines or lack of discipline really create havoc with those three things. So one of the key themes in Proverbs 5 is not so much a negative message. There is that warning about lust out of control. Lust is grasping for that which does not belong to us. But it's a positive theme in verse 18. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Later he says, be intoxicated with your spouse's wonderfulness. Focus on the positive. And you see, one of the tricks that the tempter plays on us is always getting us looking somewhere else, to someone else. I would be happy if only that person were in my life, or if I could have that relationship, but it's all a mirage. Because that second text I read to you, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. We can want and want and want what we don't have, and finally we get it, and it's a house full of strife rather than something simple with peace. And so the Proverbs writer is saying, stay in love with your marriage partner. Stay in love in the relationship that you're in. It's a call to enjoy our relationship. Now, uh, Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian who can at times be sarcastic and acerbic. He said one time, Christians are to love each other even if they're married. And I thought, wow. We need to save our best love for our marriage partner. You remember the definition of a wedding ring? that somebody gave? A wedding ring is a small gold band which cuts off circulation. Get it? 
circulation. You're pretty sharp for A15. I was afraid that one would tank. Or I'd have to explain it to you. In the early Christian era, there was a physician, a Roman physician named Galen. Uh, he lived in the, in the second Christian century, born in the 100s sometime. Widely known, greatly respected, was known as the greatest physician in Rome, in the Roman Empire at that time. He was a pagan. But he closely observed Christians, the members of this new cult, this Jesus way. And he wrote one time, there are two things that I find unique about these followers of Jesus. This is in the second Christian century. There are two things I find unique about these followers of Jesus. One, they believe in the bodily resurrection. And two, their sexual restraint. Those are the two things that made an impression on a pagan physician who was critiquing the early followers of Jesus. And he may not have known it, and you may not realize it, but those two unique things are related. We believe in bodily resurrection. We believe Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. It wasn't just his spirit. It wasn't just a metaphysical experience where he was sort of in consciousness raised from the dead. It was that he was bodily resurrected. And we believe the promises of Scripture that we will, like him, experience bodily resurrection. And you know what that tells us? That the body matters. That what we do with our body matters that it all belongs to God, and that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Every area of my life, which leads to the second critique that Galen made, sexual restraint. Because we acknowledge that all of life is under the lordship of Jesus. Now I want to show you a verse of scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. These are, these are snippets from chapter 4 verses 3 through 7. Now, I want to remind you that most people believe that 1 Thessalonians was the earliest letter written by Paul that we have in our collection of Scripture. Written even before the Gospels were collected. So this is one of the earliest Christian documents of inspired Scripture that we have. This is God's will, Paul says to the Christians of Thessalonica, that you abstain from sexual sin that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister. For God did not call us to impurity, but he called us in holiness. And it's interesting that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives that famous account of the second coming of Christ. He shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall be raised first, and then we which are alive will be joined with them. Isn't it interesting how even Paul ties together what we do with our bodies with bodily resurrection? I heard a, a follower of Christ make this comment. Uh, one time, 
He said, the grace of God working in my life is never even. The delivering power of the Holy Spirit to deliver me out of bad habits is never even. By that, he said, I mean, I don't get 70% control over every bad habit across the board. He said, I'll, I'll win a victory here, but I'll kind of be slouching and not doing very well here. And he gave examples. He said, for example, a person may experience great spiritual victory by, uh, through financial discipline. But that person's sexual life may be a wreck of wanton desires. See, uneven discipline. Or, he said, you may finally, after much prayer and work, build patience into your life to where you're not so impatient and yet still struggle with overeating. The grace and the work of God are not even across the board in our lives. Some of us who get victory in one area are still struggling in other areas. All the more reason for us to spend time in God's Word. All the more reason for us to be regular in worship and in Bible study fellowship together and to pray. And see, this helps us understand better the saving work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wants to keep on saving us, keep on cleansing and restoring areas of our lives. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is always working, but the work is uneven because we're not always open and ready. But through Jesus' saving work, God gives the power for us to create discipline and fruitfulness in our lives and habits that are not destructive so that the saving work of Jesus in our lives is ultimately about liberation, being set free from our worst selves, being set free from our deepest captivities that we might be liberated in Christ and that we might walk as people of the resurrection. People of the resurrection. Let's pray together. As we bow for prayer, I'm going to invite you to just allow the Holy Spirit to uh, rummage around in there. Maybe there's something uh, that the Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder about. And uh, right where you are this morning, uh, there would be that capacity to turn something over to Him that you've kind of kept locked in a way. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ and the saving power of Jesus Christ has not occurred to you before. How Jesus Christ can literally leverage us out of sin, out of lifestyles and habits that destroy, that Jesus really loves you, died for you, and wants to set you free. And He rose again bodily because He cares about every part of your life. If you're ready to trust Jesus Christ this morning to make your declaration of faith, We'll be here at the front to pray with you and to answer questions. Join the church, whatever might be on your heart this morning. Loving God, thank you for your mercies. We ask for your grace upon us in this time of response. Through Christ we pray, amen.